Hello, hello, and welcome to Built on Hope, a podcast dedicated to competitive imperial assault. I'm your host, Isaac, and in this episode, we are returning to our original format of matchup analysis. In our previous matchup analysis episode, we had two lists at the same time, which we directly compared. We thought it would be a good idea. We got some feedback that it actually turned out to be a little bit messy. So we're going to try it in this episode to just really nail down on one particular archetype so that you guys really can get a full understanding for this one list. So I think it is going to be absolutely great. So without any further ado, let's first on bring on the wonderful, wonderful Jess. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. Brilliant. I heard that you actually just got back from your Fancy Flight Games regional. Yes, I did. Sadly, Alistair Scott has beaten me into the cut. I just barely missed the cut. I went 2-1. Alistair also went 2-1, but because of strength of schedule, I got dropped out of the cut. Ah, that's too bad. Yeah, I wasn't quite able to make it, unfortunately. I would have loved to, but we have me, we have Jess. Unfortunately, David can't make it on today, but we also have a marvelous, marvelous player who we are introducing onto the podcast. He is, I mean, in, in many ways, he is the god of Darth Vader. And I think that anyone considering to play Vader either in IACP or in, say, Worlds or at a regional, which may be coming up for you, you are definitely going to want to pick this guy's brain. So that is exactly what we are going to do. Hailing directly from the Zion's Finest podcast, we have Scott Nielsen. How are you doing, Scott? Hello. I'm well. How are you, Isaac? Oh, I'm marvelous. Busy, but good. Great. Thank you so much for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. I mean, the more the more people we can have on, the better. Absolutely better. So, supposed to start us off, Scott. Do you want to um, introduce yourself? How? Uh, what got you into the game? Sure. Um, well, uh, it all started back right around when the core set released. Uh, I saw it in my local game store, but you know, ninety dollar price tag. I was a college student. I wasn't super sure about dropping a bunch of money on a game i didn't know anything about but uh matt also from zion's finest one of my close close friends he got it for christmas and we started playing campaign and we loved campaign we're super into it so i bought my own copy and started painting up the figures and he said hey there's this skirmish format do you want to try it and we played our first match with like the pre-built list and he just kicked my ass he just wrecked me up because <laughs> he had played the empire and i hadn't so i'm like oh my characters are super awesome and it's like nope they go down and we played another like 10 or 15 games and he won every single one and i'm the kind of person who if i lose i get this weird obsession trying to destroy you and like reclaim my honor so we just kept playing kept playing and you know we started to see like hey are there people around our state that are interested in playing that's how we met kenny uh, as everyone here probably knows kenny oh we love kenny yeah so that's it oh yeah kenny is one of my closest friends now and it's all started because we because of this game uh same with jerem and so we just kind of got started playing skirmish so yeah i've been playing for probably about five years five six years we did our first, we did like our own little store tournament. I don't even know if it was like supported with a kit or anything. We just sort of organized it. I was running Wonder Twins, if you guys remember that list. It was original Luke, Leia. I was running Davith because Davith was my favorite hero from the campaign. 
and R2, 3PO, Gideon, and Matt was running a Bosk list, because Got Bosk used to be a greatest figure. And uh, we were playing that one map with the big, huge hanger in the middle. It was a huge map. And I won on a dodge. It came down to the dice roll, and, you know, that was our first like competitive experience in terms of a tournament we kind of been hooked ever since and you know we started the slack and we started zion's finest and kenny started the podcast and it has ballooned into a giant thing since then oh amazing now then what turned you to the dark side from playing rebels to vader well i'll say this in terms of like theme darth vader is my favorite character in all media as a kid, I was him for Halloween every year in a row. I've always just thought Darth Vader's the coolest guy ever. So I always wanted Vader to work. But competitively, Darth Vader, for those of you who aren't familiar with original Vader, will kind of say Darth Vader, I mean, he had 16 health, two defense dice, reroll, but he still only had four speed. He had brutality, which let him attack two figures if he was next to both of them. But that was so hard to pull off. And he was just kind of slow. And back in the day, the rule was if you had a multi-figure group, you had to kill the whole group to get the points. You didn't get them figures. And he just didn't really work competitively. In fact, I, I even tried once with him and an Inquisitor and then like some probe droids. And I won a couple times just because people were surprised, but it just didn't work. So... I just sort of ran with what was meta competitive and what I liked with Rebels. And then Jabba came out and I ran Scum and Smugglers as we all did because that was basically the only option at that point. But it was Heart of the Empire with the Vader fix, which for those of you who don't know, adds plus one damage, gives him a reroll on attack. And at the end of the round, move two spaces and either make an attack minus one die or do a force choke. And that changed brought him into such a new era and brought him to the top of competitive play, competing with Han and IG-88. There's one thing you're also forgetting to mention, that it also lowered his points cost. That's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, Jeff. He's so expensive. He is so expensive because it went from 18 to 13 points. And that, I mean... That's a whole two officers and an upgrade. It's most of Thrawn. It's most of a, a elite jet deployment. And basically him being competitive then, I said, hey, this is the character I've always wanted to run. If I can run him now, I'm going to. And that was the year that I ran Darth Vader, Palpatine, double jets, and went top eight in world. So I felt really, really good about Vader. And Golden Age is here. We're going to make this work. And then Spectre happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Good Enough said. <laughs> great. And then the dark times began. Before the dark times before. But that's great. So before we dive right into what I think is going to be a really, really fun episode, Jess, do you want to go through the news? All right. So first, some Built on Hope podcast news. We have a new member of our team, Tom Parrish. He is now uh, in charge of our videos and we've just put up a new YouTube channel. So you can check us out on YouTube. So we've just got some events that have just happened. I was just at the Harlow Regional yesterday and Alistair Scott won that event with an IG list. Also, Las Vegas Open. Congratulations to Matt Richards with a double weekway list. Also, there was an Ontario Regional. Congratulations to Trevor with a Vader Jets list. Upcoming events. 
we have a Sheffield Regional for anyone here in the UK. That is the 15th of February coming up very soon. And we have an IACP Regional run by Isaac here in London the 1st of March. In IACP news, there's a lot going on. So season two has just wrapped up and there is a blog post about the analysis of season two. Definitely check that out. Season three has just launched and the testing league starts the 3rd of February. Also, there has been a prize announcement for the Adepticon event that is happening at Worlds, or just after Worlds, on Sunday. So some of the prizes include some alt art stuff featuring Diala and the Royal Guard, and tokens, dice trays, first place getting a medal, so definitely check out the ICP blog. There's a lot going on there. Also, for you Vassal players, Vassal version 12.3 is the latest version. So thank you, Trevor. All right, and that's it for news. Marvelous. Well, in which case, I'm going to just briefly discuss exactly what we aim to do again with this, with the matchup analysis segment. First and foremost, we want to provide a detailed insight into the function of this particular list. And so far we have covered Han Rangers, which are the best snipers in the game, without a doubt, obviously. And anyone who says weak ways are better can go away. <laughs> <laughs> and we've also discussed Chewie, who plays very differently but is also a really strong figure. But we want to touch onto the dark side. The Empire is such an amazing faction and it functions so different to whatever the rebels and mercenaries ever want to do that essentially it does provide players who like to play more tankily based or however scott might explain vader's playstyle later it gives them an option to play imperial assault as well without needing to revert to the infamous spectre self <laughs> so that's one of the great things about empire so i hope that this episode is able to really provide an evaluative insight into what what Imperials can do for you. Another thing that we want to look at is list building in preparation for an event that you may be going to. Be that ICP or regular, maybe you're going to Worlds, maybe there's a regional coming up for you. Essentially, if you've never played Vader before, what is a more beginner-friendly variant of Vader that you could try? And also, what is a more advanced Vader that you could run? Another thing which we like to touch on is a deep dive into how this list aims to control the tempo of the game. You know, we've spoken at length about that with the Heart Rangers and Chewbacca. Additionally, we have advice for new players running the lists. And finally, strengths and weaknesses, because we always love that. So, jumping in to the list building section of the episode. Scott, do you want to rattle off? I mean, I know uh, a Vader player, as refined as yourself, probably has him memorized. Do you want to tell all of our viewers who may not know what Vaders are? First, the rules on his deployment card, and then on his upgrade card. Sure. So Vader is an 18-cost figure with 16 health. He rolls two black dice in defense, and he has foresight, which allows him to re-roll one of those die during his defense modified dice phase. Uh, his attack is a yellow, uh, red, red, uh, and he has surge for plus two damage and pierce three. He has a special action, Brutality, which lets him perform two attacks as long as those attacks are for different figures. And he has a special action, Force Choke. Force Choke has infinite range, but requires line of sight. And you choose a figure with line, you have line of sight too, and they suffer two damage and a strain, which of course they can take as either a card or a third damage. His upgrade card, as we spoke about, and Jess very 
intelligently reminded me, minus is five from his cost, bringing his cost down to 13. Adds plus one damage to his native damage. It allows a reroll of one of his attack dice during his attack modify dice phase. Uh, and also at the end of the round, he is allowed to move two spaces. Space is very, very important as opposed to movement points. And then he can make an attack, removing one of the three dice from his normal attack, or do a free force choke. So that's that's new and improved Vader. So also to bound it so it's not too strong, um, he's losing the brutality. So he doesn't have brutality, but he does have that end of round effect. He then ends up with a reroll on defense and attack, which is really crazy. How would you generally go about building a Vader list? Generally speaking, there's there's between two to four different main archetypes right now. Whenever you're building a Vader list, uh, you have to make one of two different choices about how you run Vader. And there's sort of the Scott way to run Vader, and there's an Arvados way to run Vader. Arvados is an incredible Vader player, took Vader to top four of Worlds list last year with Vader. Such a great player. And he was talking with Matt because Matt was wondering about running Vader. And, and Matt and I got discussing, and we kind of talked about our different play styles. So the first play style is my play style, which is, you know, Vader is going to hang back. He's going to sort of be nuke that you drop round two or three. He's going to come in and just sort of wreck and clean things up and be a big tempo swing and be a big game changer. That's sort of the first play style, and you can kind of build around that, as opposed to the second play style, which is Vader is going to be a damage soak. He's going to absorb a lot of attacks, and he's going to exert pressure while the rest of your list does a lot of work. And depending on how you feel about that is going to determine where you build your list around. As it stands now, th there's only really three figures that are going to make it into the list with Vader that are not really optional, and that's Thrawn and one to two officers. Thrawn is such an essential part of any Vader list. It's giving you card control. It's giving you an extra solid damage dealer. Thrawn can regularly deal between four and seven damage to a figure, and so he's and he's giving out tokens that are assisting cards and getting rid of your opponent's cards, which is so important against hunters with assassinate, on the lamb tools, heightened reflexes. And then those officers are really essential for being able to put Vader into position so that he can make those long-range uh, attacks and, and exert that pressure while simultaneously giving you a little bit more objective control and terminal control. I think especially on the really huge maps like Lethal, the extra movement points are really important. Absolutely. I get a lot of flack because I, I think they could unnerf officers and, and the game wouldn't change that much, but it would give Empire a little bit of an edge that they probably need. And people shoot me down and say, that's ridiculous, it'd be so overpowered. And I still maintain that it'd be fine. But yeah, so, so those I think are, are probably the non-arguable. You're also going to bring at least two, in my opinion, skirmish upgrades. Everyone, every Imperialist is running Zillow. You have. It is the single best skirmish upgrade in the game. It's just not negotiable. If you're not running Zillow, then you've got a screw loose somewhere. Yeah, I mean, you would absolutely drop the Emperor in exchange for Jets and... And, and Zillow, absolutely. Then I also run Rule by Fear. The reason you run Rule by Fear is that the Empire doesn't have access to the same sort of card draw mechanics that scum and rebels have. Yeah, we all have planning, but we don't have Rebel High Command. We don't have Black Iron Crisis. We don't have Jabba drawing us cards. And so Rule by Fear giving you that extra card to start is really important. It also gives you 
basically a 33% chance to have planning in your opening hand, which gives you a five card start with having played two, which is so important for the tempo of Vader and having access to their very important command cards. Vader's command cards are where a lot of the list lives and dies, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. The final skirmish upgrade that usually rounds it out, because everyone's running Rule by Fear, everyone's running Zillow. Some people argue about what the final skirmish upgrade is, or if you even run one. Personally, I run Doubt. I think Doubt is a fantastic card. Some people disagree. Those people are wrong. Doubt is great. It is incredible. I mean, it's slowing down the tempo of any list with focus. It's getting rid of tokens for Spectre. It's allowing a reroll. I can't tell you how many times I've caused Han to not make a shot because I just doubt away his range and tough luck it. Yeah. You think? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I think you could make an argument for extra armor if you're running jets because having them each start with an, a block token, it can be really valuable. I don't think it's more valuable than doubt, but I think it's a discussion we could have. I completely agree with that. Um, so what other units would you consider rounding out the list with? Obviously, Jets and Riots yeah. are the most popular, but how would you explain their impact on your list, or even if you would spice it up with some other? Right, so my current list runs two Elite Jets to round it out. That's sort of evolved from previously running Vader, Palp, and Thrawn, and I would include a cross-trained Elite Death Trooper in the Vader, Palp, Thrawn variant. So the two options there, Vader, Palp, Thrawn, that gives you access to spy cards, so strategic shift, intelligence leak to, to control your opponent's command card deck as well. That list, I think, is just not as good against the whole field. It's better against Spectre and against, you know, Queen figures because you're getting extra attacks. Palpatine's doing Force Lightning. But the current list I run runs uh, Double Jets, and it runs Fuel Upgrade, Grenadier, Overrun. Nice. Yeah, and yeah, Fuel Upgrade, Grenadier, Overrun. And I'm thinking of one more card that I can't quite recall. Call the Vanguard? Call the Vanguard. This is why Jets is the best, guys. Call the Vanguard is so good. So the reason that I, I run Jets is that I think, on the whole, Jets are the most flexible Imperial figure. I've seen the argument for Riots, and I can see a, a, a Riots Vader build. And I've seen some Jets and Riots builds, which I'll let Jessica speak to, as she's more familiar with that than I am. Mm -hmm. But what I find really valuable about the Jets is their ability for really fast movement, especially with fuel upgrade. They are the best, best figures for the propaganda mission on Maul in Coruscant back alleys. Yes. Oh, I cleaned up today on that map. Absolutely. I mean, and I can't tell you, if your opponent groups up and you've got Grenadier overrun fuel upgrade. Yes. I mean, I have, I have had turns where, you know, two figures have done 18 damage across the two of them between attack and Grenadier and overrun and it it just allows this sort of flexibility and they're they're not quite as tough as weak ways because they're not having access to focus and they have to be up close but when you work them in tandem with vader they're uh, exerting pressure that is almost equal to vader four jets exerts about equal pressure to vader and it really causes your opponent to have to make some difficult choices yes and i think the big difference between a threat with vader and a threat with jets is because it's more flexible. Let's say you have one big attack with Vader, but they dodge it. You know, that's a big deal. But if you have two attacks with two jets and they dodge one of them, you still have the other one, it just kind of mitigates some of the things that your opponent can be doing. Absolutely. And not to mention objective control. I mean, playing against 
Because so many people, I mean, I'm one of the few people who actually defended Malhata. Well, you run Han Rangers, of course you defend Malhata. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. But what I will say is that I think a lot of people underestimated just how devastating Vader Jets was on that map. Because the Jets just taking one of those shield generators. And then suddenly, okay, so now you've got Evade so that you can... Basically, I'm never surging. I mean, I've had three ranger shots go into one of those guys when they're saying next to a shield and not kill him it's it's insane it was absolutely insane yeah that seven health too just makes it so that it's just slightly able to withstand one attack and they're not going to instantly pop it's it's a nice amount of health and the ability to convert one of their blocks to an evade is very flexible so just what do you what, what value do you see in the riots i've played against riots with vader and if, if they're running like strain mechanics, like escalating hostility, they're really tough to work around. But what do you see the value of, of riots in the Vader list? So for me, I don't play the strain game. I have never gotten it to work very effectively. I just like them getting in the way and soaking up hits. So I actually run non-elite normal, normie stormies, okay? Normal riots, uh, because I find for their points, their survivability is really good. So with the riots getting that block token and with five health, they usually can withstand two attacks from kind of the standard things they're going to be going up against. And they're only two points. So let's say you pop riots, you had to you know, deal quite a bit of damage, and they're only two points, especially with the Hunter meta, where there's fewer shots, but they're much more damaging. Okay, you get a lot of damage, and you get two points out of it. Uh, it's not as devastating. Also, for my playstyle, I have an issue with positioning. I know that at some point in the game, I'm going to misposition. And so for Riot's their survivability and their points cost mitigates that effect. If I lose a few riots because I did something dumb, it's not as devastating. <laughs> so that's that's something that for me, I find useful. And I get to do the doubling up of brawler cards with Vader. So I get a lot more value out of my brawler cards. Whereas if Vader goes down early, those are dead cards. Yeah. Except for Zillow pitch, but, you know, still, that's not how you want to be using them. Right. So I really enjoy using Riots. Also, if uh, I have played Vader the way that I want, he's taken a lot of hits but is surviving, I run him back behind a big Riot Trooper Swarm meat shield. And you have to eat through that if you want to get to Vader. And I hold on to that victory points that you put a lot of effort into trying to get, but you didn't quite get. So that worked out really well for me in uh, two of my games today. Especially with like price on their heads and celebration yeah. and cards that, that do that. I used to run regular riots that were cross-trained with my Vader jets before Thrawn came out. And I absolutely agree that regular riots, you know, because regular jets are, are garbage and worth nothing. Yes. Regular riots absolutely like have value. So in terms of like, you know, if you're new to the game or you're new to Vader, you really 
I think if you're going in, I think you need to figure out what your general like play style is. Like, yes. are you someone who likes to do big plays? Are you someone who likes very consistent plays? I would suggest, you know, obviously Vader is going to be the, the cornerstone of the list. I would suggest starting with probably the simplest, which would just be like Vader Riots, because they're all going to play a little similarly. They're run up, they're hit, they're tanky. And you can build cards like reinforcements that are going to help you make up for mistakes. If you lose a riot, you can bring it back at the end of the round, as long as you don't lose all of them in a group. And, you know, just try that a little bit and then switch those riots over to jets. See if you like the flexibility. It really is just kind of figuring out what your play style is. And I'd suggest even dropping Vader for a game and just trying and like run like the double double trooper list and just see get a feel for how those troopers operate and what their goals are and see which one you like better and then plug vader back in that's going to help it, it should be also noted that if you have friends who play janky stuff ask them to play some like super competitive stuff because that's going to determine a lot because how weak ways respond to jets is very different from how weak ways respond to riots and how you're going to have to deal yes. with that that's probably a good segue for you know, the different strengths and weaknesses of the list. I think the strengths of, and I'll speak mostly for my own list, Vader, Double Jets, Thrawn, Two Officers, Doubt, Zillow, Rule by Fear. I don't run Unshakable, I used to, but sort of the strengths of the list, like I said, kind of comes down to the command cards. With Jets, I'm running Call the Vanguard, Fuel Upgrade, Overrun, Grenadier. The strength is that those Jets are so flexible. They can go run objectives, they can do moderate damage, they can do huge spike damage with Grenadier, Overrun, Fuel Upgrade, Run Around. Literally with a double move, they can deal 14 damage because Overrun's great if they can hit all those figures. So Scott, for our newer players out there, can you explain those cards? Absolutely. So Fuel Upgrade is a card that you play at the beginning of a round and it gives all of your vehicles plus one speed and it gives them a evade when they defend. Jets are vehicles. They are a vehicle trooper. And so they gain access to that. Overrun is a card that you play at the beginning of a figure's activation. Whenever that figure enters a space of another figure that is hostile, they take two points of damage. So you can basically play Fuel Upgrade and have a jet that will double move 10 spaces. And every figure it goes over will take two damage. Boink, 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 boink. Exactly. Uh, Call the Vanguard is also a card you play at the beginning of a round that lets one of your troopers move a full movement shoot for those who don't know about jet troopers jet troopers normally only roll two attack dice but if they're within two spaces they have an ability called flyby that lets them roll an extra blue die in their attack and then gain two movement points at the end of the attack if you call the vanguard you're still going to get extra movement to be really flexible that can really help play into an overrun and fuel upgrade play call the vanguard is only really useful to play with the elite jets because of their point cost Call the Vanguard has a, a stipulation. It can only be played on troopers, troopers that are four point cost or above. So you can play it with elite jets because they're four and you can also play it with something like tarot. But yeah, yeah. you can't play them on all troopers, but with jets, right. it's amazing. Yeah, so that is one of the setbacks for riots is that they cannot use Call the Vanguard. And then the final card is Grenadier. Grenadier basically says it's an action, choose a space within three spaces, roll a red die, 
every figure on or adjacent to that space takes damage equal to what you roll. So at, at LVO, I, I threw a grenade at Dracotta and did three damage and killed her and did some damage to MHD and killed C-3PO as well. And they can be really flexible cards that allow your jets to do a bunch of damage. Or like I said, jets can go over and claim objectives. Some other strengths of the, of the list is Thrawn. Thrawn does great damage if you give him a surge token. He can do up to seven is his max, which is really respectable for a six cost figure because of how consistently he can achieve it. And not only that, but he is his ability is at the beginning of every round, you distribute tokens equal to the round number. So you can give Vader a damage token, you can give a Jet a block token, you give Thrawn a surge token if it's round three. And he looks at the top card of each player's deck and discards one of them. So he's, you know, I can't tell you how great it feels to pull a Miracle Worker or an Onslaught or an Assassinate and just say, yeah, you don't get that this game. Okay, I had a Thrawn when I was playing an IG list discard Blaze of Glory. That hurts so bad. I love it, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the amount of games I've played against Vader and Thrawn discards Heightened, Assassinate, and Tools. Like, okay, so I just lost nine damage. What what do you want me to do? Uh, And that, I will say, is one of my small frustrations, I suppose, with um, Thrawn, is that it is a little bit, he is a little bit chance-based. There are some games where he'll get rid of positioning, planning, and, I don't know, officer's training. And, you know, the hunters are then going to absolutely destroy everything. And some games he's going to destroy all the hunter cards, and the hunters aren't really going to be able to do anything. That being said, I still think that Thrawn is an amazingly designed character, and he's incredibly fun, thematic, and powerful. Yeah, so that's a really good point, Isaac. I've actually stopped playing Thrawn for kind of that reason. I love his miniature. He's a great-looking mini, and I think he is so cool. But with my play style, I think there's a lot more tactics that's coming up with the deciding on which cards to discard, when you might want to discard your own instead, when you might want to leave cards that slow down card draw for your opponent. And and again, like Isaac was saying, there's that luck-based element that you might just be pulling cards that are not that useful to discard, that kind of thing. And so I, for all you beginners out there, I would say don't put him in in your starting list because there's a lot to think about. And also, when do you attack with him? Because he does have quite a strong attack if you can get him those extra surges. Like giving him those surge tokens is really nice. But you also don't want to be like putting him in danger because of his the card ability, card manipulation abilities, and how he gets stronger the longer the rounds go. So you don't want to be running up with him and being aggressive and losing him early. So I found that very tricky to balance. And so I found that it was easier to put in extra riots that if I put them in a yucky position, it's not so bad. I would say if you're not running Thrawn generally, try and throw some cross training in because like if you can intelligently, like, you know, I had an unfortunate matchup against Kenny on fluctuations where he basically had his entire deck in hand. Oh. You know, he had 10 cards, he had no cards left. And if I can play a strategic shift on him at that point, I win. Mm. If I can get rid of basically all of his cards, yeah. 
Um, so having access to some form of control, I think either Thrawn or across training to be able to manipulate cards is really important for the Empire because they just don't have the same tools. They don't have the tools for the job, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think, yeah, Thrawn is a really interesting figure. He is a lot of people's first target. So I think Jess raises a good point about, yep. you know, if you're going to be attacking with Thrawn, I think it needs to be conservative shots that you can move back. You don't want yeah. to expose them too much because if you do, they'll go after him. A lot of the math that's done when you're playing against Vader is do I kill Vader or do I kill everything else? And yes. that for Hunter lists is very much dependent on what their hand is. I mean, I played a game practicing with Aaron Ross where, you know, I ended up winning the game, but I thought I was doomed because he had a, a Greedo run up to suicide himself and shot Vader, played four cards and did 10 damage. Yeah, yeah. I had a similar thing happen to me against Luke uh, today where he had Jabba focus Onar. Then he played, what is it? Strength in numbers or yeah, something, yes, something yeah. similar to that one. And he had Onar then run up and shoot vader with his hunter suite and yet yeah, did 10 damage so it's really nasty so i think that would be something where because the meta is very hunter focused at the moment that card manipulation is so much more valuable in a vader list absolutely absolutely i actually after obio i did consider i'm because i'm currently in the midst of do i change the list do i pivot completely do I add, you know, some more card control mechanics in because it's really hard to overcome certain lists, especially in certain maps like fluctuations where you can't yes. get into the fray so quickly. So if I can add in stuff to slow down hunters, because, you know, like I mentioned, I played Kenny on fluctuations and it took so long for my figures to be relevant that he had drawn to his whole deck. And at that point, if I got close, he just had everything he needed. And he was going to have on the lamb and he was going to have assassinate. And you, it's really, really hard to come back from that sort of deficit if, if you're starting at, at such a low position. Yes. Precisely. And I suppose kind of le leading into that, I think we'll just jump right into the gameplay aspect of the episode. So, Scott... When you're playing Vader, what is your aim for round one? I suppose we could go over the three maps we currently have in rotation. So I guess we'll start off with um, target initiative maps. Uh, what is your aim for round one from both deployment zones on both missions? What, what for Vader is the perfect start to the game for you? So obviously on, on tar target initiative is, is interesting in that it is the probably the most asymmetrical deployment in the game. So with weapons and with Rogue AI, it's a very different mission and it's very dependent on sort of where the cards fall. And we'll build on it. if I'm starting on the treehouse side, I'm positioning an officer to open the door uh, on the treehouse side and Vader, and I'm going to use that officer's second action to move Vader into the opening, but hidden behind the blocking terrain so that my opponent cannot open the door and shoot Vader. This allows Vader to either camp in the little alcove, which allows him to then bust out and do a lot of damage with my face-to-face, -face, my looking for a fight, dark energy, whoever I need to get in position. Or it allows me to pick up a weapon that I've set up for Vader. The last two games on target weapons I've done, I've had Vader with a red weapon, where I'm dealing 10 to 13 damage pretty consistently. 
it's it's excessive, and I'd rather the Jets have the weapon. But it's an f- easy pickup for Vader, who's not really doing much else around one. And then my Jets are moving south down into the hallways to set up. Same with Thrawn. So essentially, I've got my Jets and Thrawn and my officers sort of occupying, you know, sort of the middle and lower area to just sort of be pressure, while Vader just kind of uh, sits up at the top as this threat that can pop down as soon as my opponent exits their deployment zone. When I'm dealing on the other side, I'm coming down in the hall. I'm sort of funneling everything into the hall. I don't want to open that top door because everything that I'm going to be shooting at and it's going to shoot at me, they have better range, guaranteed. My list operates within two spaces. That's it. Thrawn can hit people at range 10. I've done it. It's great. And they get really mad uh, (laughs) because his accuracy is insane. Yep. But he's the only one. Jets need to be within two. Vader needs to be uh, adjacent. So I'm very much a, a face-to-face kind of person. So basically what I want to do is I want to take that lower hallway and I want to bring my jets around to A, score points on rogue AI or pick up those weapons in the southern region. Or I want, and I want to position them so that essentially I'm taking 60% of the map is mine. I want the top right quadrant and the lower left quadrant so that my opponent is feeling in the top left quadrant. Uh, when I orient top left right we're assuming that the hangar is at the bottom and the two deployment zones are at the top left and right treehouse on the left and interior on the right so a lot of that that's sort of my round one aim in terms of like ideal tempo i'm sort of waiting to have initiative i want to be able to end around start around so if i have negation if i have take initiative and i know they've spent negation that that changes a lot of my map on rogue ai if the rogue AI is down in an area I control, I will purposely not pick it up. My list doesn't often win on objectives unless I'm doing it at the very end to score the last six to eight points I need. But when I'm going up against a, a, a player who has three more activations than I do, because I start with six and they might be starting with eight or nine, I'm not going to win the rogue AI game if I keep giving them to them. I played a game where my opponent scored 12 points off that objective because it just oscillated between the top two spots and he just had five movement figures and he just went double move, double move, double move, double move. So with the rogue AI, I'm very much in the game of points denial. Whereas with weapons, I'm just hoping to out position my opponent and get in some one shot kills, which is a little tough depending on who I'm playing against and what they're playing. Because I tell you right now, weak ways with a green weapon can go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I that agree. Was, that was a little much. I agree. Uh, weak ways, period, can go to hell. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at for, for Tarkin. So I actually have a completely opposite strategy. I, oh. on Tarkin, because I run really cheap riots, and a lot of them, I eat up those AI points. I spread my trooper swarm all across this map and I get those objective points. Actually on the weapons mission, I ignore the weapons because it takes an action to pick them up. My riots are too slow to be able to go pick them up and then get an attack. Later, it's too slow. I just rush in, I clog all the hallways, and I use my trooper swarm for objective points, and I use Vader. Uh, it de- 
depends what list I'm up against, but basically I try to get Vader to soak up hits and sometimes I might run him in, but often I will keep him in the middle somewhere where he can pop out force choke possibly and absorb some hits and then possibly run away and just hold on to those victory points that your opponent can't get and leaving my trooper swarm to then pick up objective points. That being said, I think Scott is a much more competitive player than I am, but I have had a lot of success on the Tarkin map with that strategy. It's, it's probably my um, best win rate map. I'll say this. Based off of what you've described your list as, I think the strategy you've described is the better one for your list. Absolutely. I think I don't have the flexibility with the riots to do, like with the jets versus the riots. So I think absolutely what you've described is the right play for you. Yeah, because you have fewer figures as well, right? Yeah, I have eight figures mm -hmm. across six activations. So I just don't have the manpower to do it. Right. I'm I, most of the time what I'm hoping is I can get a jet shot and then use the two extra points to claim a Tarkin AI objective. Yeah. My objectives are secondary. My list is definitely a, I'm going to kill you uh, with, with the exception of propaganda. But yeah. So that's sort of for the breakdown for me on Tarkin for Lothal, the general strategy for Lothal is to concede at the beginning because it's probably an auto loss. <laughs> that is, that is only mostly a joke. So if you're playing on Blitz, round one is really interesting because my goal is to as safely get as close to my opponent as possible. And how they, how they position is really important. For example, I played against Noel Pastana in LVO round two, and he was running uh, Thrawn Palp Riots, a control list. So he's, I played two command cards. And I went through my whole deck because he's just throwing tons of strain and he's getting rid of my cards. And, you know, we just we just both blitzed all our stuff up to the spire. So we had Riot, Riot, Jet, Jet, Vader, throw, like everyone. Like it was a blast. It was oh just my God. who can hit harder? And the answer was Vader because Vader's Vader. But it was, it was ridiculous. And that's a play I've never dealt with before. But it's because I was simply responding to my opponent. You know, sometimes what I'll try and do is move Vader and the Jets up by the Spire, and I'll keep Thrawn and an officer on the other side to just sort of pop out, make long-range shots, and, you know, kind of deal with the other half of the map. So it really is dependent on my opponent. I would really love to not have initiative on Blitz so that I can round two have initiative and capitalize on that movement. But if I don't... I'm setting up for round three where I will have initiative to be able to make some big plays. Because like I said, Vader's about those big plays. Yeah. So if you didn't have a second round initiative, would you play more conservatively with Vader? Yes. It is unacceptable to allow an attack on Vader if Vader is not getting an attack in exchange. You just, you just can't afford with the math with Hunters because... Honestly, if, if it was most people, it's like, oh, you'll do one to three damage on Vader. That's really not a big deal. With Hunters, as we discussed earlier, that can be 10 damage. Yeah, exactly. With Fluctuations, I don't have an answer for Fluctuations. Like, that's consistent. Because you can play the objectives and try and be safe, and your opponent will draw all their cards, and then they'll score more objective points than you and shoot you from afar. Or you can run at them, get shot at, and just hope that their attacks don't do enough, and you can do something when you get in position. Yeah. I think this is in the current 
state of the game, fluctuations is the thing that scares me the most playing the Vader list. It's almost like when you get that mission, you just have to be like, well, I hope I win my other matches. <laughs> There's no list that likes it. I mean, as even myself, a devout Han Rangers player, I hate fluctuations because there is no way for me to get objective points because essentially my playstyle with Han Rangers, obviously, is um, taking few kills, but capitalizing on as many points as I can and winning off, off objectives after that. But, I mean, I, I don't know any, any list which likes fluctuations. Yeah, I mean, cats are okay. But, yeah, but I mean, even there, they would be a lot better on basically any other yeah, map. Yeah, I mean, so. weak weight hunters are okay. Like, like it's all about, no one loves it, but there are people who hate it more. It's not an auto loss, depending on who you're up against. But like, if you're playing against scum hunters and you're running Vader and it's fluctuations, as Jessica said, you better hope that you win your other matches. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I find what is so challenging is, number one, it is a huge map. And we've discussed how Vader is quite slow and he needs to be up close to do his damage. I mean, you have that force choke option, but there are so many ways that hunters can position here where you can't get that across the map force choke to work. And the victory points for the fluctuations, for the objectives, you only get one point and they're spread all across the map. So I can't do that same strategy with my Trooper Swarm like I can with Tarkin because your guys are spread way across the map and the victory points, it's only one per fluctuation. And all of the objective points, you have to put yourself out there. Like they're very exposed yeah. positions compared to uh, Tarkin and uh, back alleys where the objective points, there are a lot of nooks where you can kind of hide from line of sight all of the objective points on fluctuations barring the ones that are very close to like your terminals it's very exposed position so that's what i find really challenging yeah the spire is really your only area that you can capitalize a little bit better because of your jets and mobile but yes it's just a tough map you, yeah honestly if, if you've solved fluctuations you're a better man than i more power to you because it's just a tough one and it's it's the number one thing going into Worlds that makes me consider pivoting from Vader. Right, yeah. Because I'm confident on any other map and any other mission, and even on Blitz some of the time, I can win against any other list. But fluctuations, if I'm just saying, like, I'm taking an auto loss, obviously it depends on how big the tournament is. Like, you know, LVO was super small, and we played four matches, and two of them were on Lothal. And so that, you know, that makes a difference, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it, it, it's something to think about if you're playing Vader, just to be aware that, that fluctuations is going to be a problem. The nice thing is that Coruscant Back Alleys is your best map, by far. Gangsters is a little worse than Propaganda, but that's only because Propaganda is almost an auto-win. One of the great things, and I think this is where jets are really flexible, it's because with their extra two movement from Flyby, they can flip a token. They can double move, run up, flip tokens, and hide. All the Vanguard can flip tokens. Essentially, you can just wait your, for your opponent to come to you. There's so many, you know, blocking like lines, uh, red lines that mean, hey, my jet can ignore those and your figures can't. Vader can hide. He can pop in. Like, I absolutely 100% love propaganda. And gangsters is fine because, you know, Vader can kill a gangster easily. Jets are pretty good at killing gangsters. You just hope that the 
gangsters don't hit your jets for two because killing a jet with five health is way easier than seven. Yes. I find also just the size of it, Vader has a lot of options to get all the way into your opponent's deployment, basically. There's just a lot of ways that he can get there and still dodge line of sight. And just if he runs straight through, he can basically get all the way up into your deployment almost in round one. Yeah. If you get moved up with officers and you just run full tilt and then your end of round two movement points, like you can get all the way across the map uh, if that is something that you wanted to do. I mean, I do yeah. that sometimes but it is not always a good idea that's just how i play but <laughs> so i think i mean for me i always because i usually prefer the t section the upper yes. section with the t yes, yes, yes. so i camp vader in in the section of the t and that gives me with a face-to-face -face, i can attack any figure on the on their terminal on or in that like little area yes which is usually where they're hiding their big figure because they want them as close as possible to do stuff but it's protected and also just if you've got negation and Initiatives coming to you, absolutely just run Vader up uh, mm -hmm. and just say, cool, I'm going to force choke or attack you. And then I'm going to force choke, attack, and just do Vader things. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to deal with that. Um, absolutely, that can be a great, great play. Now, this is a really interesting point I wanted to bring up. So today I played on this map and I played very aggressively and I did run Vader all the way up. He took a lot of hits, and now, just by pure luck, he survived with one HP for me to pull back later. But even so, even if I had lost him there, I actually won that game with enough of a lead that uh, even if I had lost Vader there, he had done enough for me. He soaked up a lot of hits. So this was against a double equate list, and... He used up a lot of resources, a lot of attacks. And then what happened is that all my troopers swarm, my riots, my jets just swarmed the rest of the map, held those points. They just clogged up all of the line of sight issues so that when I pulled Vader back later, they couldn't get to him. And they had used up all their hits. So then my jets could come in and safely hit stuff because they had already shot. Uh, so when... Do you find that sacrificing Vader is worth it? Or do you never think that? Like, I always am thinking about the math for Vader because yeah. I'm never going like, I will intentionally let Vader die. My goal is for Vader never to die. And he only yeah. dies in about 20% of the games I play, if that. <laughs> We're playing very differently. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, but also it's just because like, if you don't give the attacks, basically I'll, in the math of a hunter player, also... Most of the guys I play with, they don't go for Vader because they just know that if it doesn't work out, they've lost. Yeah, but right. If you go after Vader, you have to kill Vader. Yes. And if you spend too many resources, then the Jets will eat you up. That's most what it is. It's like, I never want to take a net loss in trading how many points did Vader give me versus how many did he, they, he give my opponent. And against, you know, a points list, Vader can be giving up to 22 points. Yes, that's true. That's a big problem. That's oh, that's so many points. So that's part of my math. The, the list that I think is the list to beat is double Weequays, Onar, Greedo, an Elite Jawa, Jabba, right? And, you know, uh, Care Package. Yes. Vader needs to, if I'm going to lose Vader, I'm requiring, if just for Vader, 
I will require the death of either two Weequays and Greedo or a Weequay, Onar, and Greedo. That is where I feel the trade is even. Maybe even a little in my favor because four Weequays versus four Jets is a die roll. Four Jets against three Weequays, I'm very comfortable with. Well, and Equays have those three rolls that we don't have with Jets. Jets are amazing. They're great. But without that reroll, sometimes the luck is just not with you and you get some real pants results. Yeah. You need some tokens because you don't have access to focus. Yes. Like, yeah, it's, it, Weequays are the best mid-tier unit because they have the damage output of Rangers without the condition of being far enough away, right? And, uh, and also they have access to their hidden. So all, all three figures, like because the ones that get compared are Jets, Weequays, and Rangers. Rangers are garbage without focus and need to be five more than five species away, five or more. Jets are jets are garbage if they're not within two and don't have access to focus. Yeah. And weakways without them are like, oh, yeah, we only have two dice, but we also have a hidden and we can reroll and we're still going to probably pull off five damage, you know, with and we're going to reroll out of your dodge. So. I mean, if you dodge against a jet, it's like, well, the jet attack was wasted. You dodge against a weak way, they're like, well, you got to do it again. So sorry about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> so weak ways are the same cost for a more flexible, more consistent figure. So the only benefit is that defensively, it's easier to kill a weak way than it is to kill a jet. That's the only advantage. And also jets have better movement. Mm-hmm. You know, that comes down to if you can play the objective game, your jets can beat weak ways. If you can, if you're playing range game, Rangers are better at range than weakways are by a certain margin, right? Yeah. But if you're just going one to one, let's smash dice at each other. Those weakways are going to come out on top, especially if they have that access to focus. Honestly, sometimes I will trade a jet for a focuser. Like if I can kill Gideon, if I can kill C3PO, because it slows them down so much because I can doubt the other one's focus away. I mean, and they also have Jabba, but still three focus around. I had a game today where I ran Vader full into their deployment and killed Jabba. Yeah. I, I did kill Jabba at LVO. I did not win the match, but I did kill Jabba. And it was very satisfying to kill Jabba. Yes, it is super satisfying. I mean, the, the worst feeling I've ever had is Jabba on the lambing. I kill shot on him. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had the treehouse side on Tarkin. And uh, Jabba, instead of being pressed in the back corner he was much further forward right in line of his hallway so i was like cool free kill so my rangers just ace him up and then i'll play on the lamb like oh that just happened part of me is like if they're spending on the lamb on java like you would love to get rid of that extra point per kill yes the card draw and the focus like so it's worth it for them to play on the lamb but also if i don't have to worry about playing on the lamb against like a weak way or a hunter that like is actually doing damage yeah, oh, like, 100%. Okay. Like, I mean, I've had people play on the lamb with Greedo off a call the Vanguard shot, and I'm like, hell yes, I will take this trade every day of the week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's interesting because the on the lamb dilemma, I think, is fascinating because that threat of having on the lamb makes you play so differently. So when you play it, even if you did save your figure, the fact that your opponent knows that you don't have it anymore, it's like psychologically is very manipulating in the game. Yeah, I, I for sure. I do always, if I can, I want to kill your figures with Grenadier, Overrun, or a Force Choke if mm-hmm. they can play on the lamb. 
Because if I can deprive you of your ability to play that, then it's it's so essential. Also, if Vader's done, I used to run Unshakable, and I used to run two parting blows, dark energy, looking for a fight. I was all about the combo. I have since dropped one copy of Parting Blow and Unshakable. I still have one copy of Parting Blow, and I still have looking for a fight, dark energy. But I use those more to get Vader in just for normal attacks. Yes. And I have the Parting Blow as sort of like my on-the-lamb insurance or my, well, Vader's going to die, or Vader has done enough that... I'm okay losing him or basically taking him out of the game. Because if Vader's stunned, he's basically out of the game at that point. Mm-hmm. So if it's at the right point, I'll play it. But yeah, so it is nice if I'm playing against Han and I want to go up for a kill shot and I'm like, if they have on the lamb, at least I have party blow. I mean, it happened with me and Isaac. Yeah. You know, in, in our game at Worlds, I came up, attacked Han, and I think you dodged or something or you didn't die. So I do a parting blow combo, do enough to kill you, you on the lamb, and then I play a second parting blow. Yeah, and it was actually even sillier than that because uh, I didn't even roll my white die. I was like, I, I was just, okay, cool. I, I'm going to play on the lamb. And then they were like, you were like, okay, sure. And she even asked me if I wanted to roll the white die because it just went completely past me at that point. Well, I think I looked at it and said like, hey, Isaac, do you want to roll your white die? I, I think you did roll and it was yeah. like a blank. So it was like, you're like, whatever. but. I was like, dude, like, yeah. roll your white die. If you dodge, it's yeah. <laughs> you don't need to worry about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was back in my early days of the game where my tactical <clears throat> ability was somewhat limited. <laughs> well, we talked after the game, and it was like, I was jet lagged. I, it was a 14-hour flight, and I was yeah. like, yeah, that's where you got in yesterday. Like, We've talked about this before, that a large part of competing is that mental fortitude. Mm. I feel like you almost never play a perfect game because it's really tiring. It's super stressful, right? Yeah. And hindsight's 2020. Even when you have played a perfect game, you're just like, oh, I lost still. Yeah. So was there something else I could have done? And yeah. Yeah. Mental fatigue is a real thing. In the grand championship, you know, we're watching the game or any world championship, you watch and you go like, that was a dumb move. Why didn't you do this way? Like, I remember asking Matt after LVO being like, hey, so why'd you do it this way instead of this way? Wouldn't this have been better? He's like, it would have. I just, I'm dumb. And I was tired. Yeah, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. Your only hope is that your opponent is as tired and dumb as you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, the thing is, ever since Alistair recommended to me to just keep on drinking water at tournaments. So ever since that day, every time I go to a tournament, I have about maybe all in all two liters of water that I drink throughout the day. And it just helps me so much keep my head clear. The few tournaments I haven't bought water, I've done appallingly at. Water is directly linked. Sounds like you're using performance-enhancing H2O, Isaac. <laughs> Gotta report you. No, it's, it's just called the Freedom of Rangers. All right, Coruscant back alleys. Hope you don't get shot by gangsters and play those propagandas. Yeah, I think it's, it's Vader's best map. Yeah. And positioning, hide behind doors, hide behind stuff. That's where you get to shine. So make up for your fluctuation loss on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is an interesting <laughs> point. I find with the current map rotation, Vader, I really enjoy playing Vaderless, but it is inconsistent with the different maps. Like it's such a big difference. Like today in the regional, we only played three Swiss rounds and two of them were Lothal. So that was pretty rough. And the current meta, I think, 
is really well set up with the scum weakways because they are really quite consistent across different maps. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, part of me is I have to, you know, the next month or so is me testing a lot and grappling with my soul and saying, mm. do I try and figure out Vader on fluctuations or do I just run double weakways, which will work on every map and every mission? Mm-hmm. And part of it is, how do I feel about my soul as a Vader player? Does, is it important to, me to, to stick with my guy for the final worlds? I know. Or do I want to win my final worlds? I don't know. And that is exactly the thing with so many players. I think everyone going to worlds has to decide why they are going. Because, I mean, Scott, you, you have your heart sold on Vader. He is your figure in the game. For me, that's Rangers. Yeah. So I think everyone has to make the decision, do you go out... As as the guy you are known for, am I going to go out running Han range? Are you going to go out running Vader, even though our chances of winning are lower? Or because this is the last event and the title of last Imperial Assault World Champion is, as you say, it sounds pretty sweet. Do you, I mean, it, it's not even selling your soul, to be honest. I mean, after playing one list for so long, I don't think it's wrong to make an archetype change. Absolutely. The question is simply, though, what's more fun and do you think you'll win? Either way, right? Like the odds of yeah. winning, even if you run the best. I mean, I ran Spectre Cell the last yeah. results, and I did well, but I didn't win. And it's like, so I, I sold my soul there. And so is it worth it? You know? Precisely. So, but yeah, it's an interesting question. And I'll let everyone else decide before I do. And I'll grapple with it <laughs> and feel very upset. I mean, you could possibly pull an Alistair. You could uh, just decide on your list halfway through round one. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I wanted to discuss is we really discussed at length the double weekway list, but are there any other lists in the current meta that you are afraid of going up against? No, I will say that Hondrakata Sabine isn't a, a done deal at all. Vader can win and Vader can lose. It really depends, you know, if you get rid of Miracle Worker, that's a big deal on the lamb. So. I'm not afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I am definitely afraid of Lost Cats because I haven't played against them enough. And I'll always remember playing a game with DT where he was just trying out David's list from Worlds and he moved the Lost Cat like 14 spaces and one shot Thrawn. And so I'm so paranoid playing against them yeah. that I need to play against them more because they're just so cool and so interesting. And I love that, I love that Gao Cats is a thing. <laughs> I love it so much. The speed is really their huge strength, and the damage is no nothing to sneeze at either. So they just go across the map, and with Imperials, they don't have that speed. Like Jets have a bit more flexibility with the mobile, but again, that only comes into play on certain maps. The Lothcat Cats just really can get to you from nearly anywhere. It's Yeah, that is quite scary. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's something that giving pause, but really it is. And here's the thing, double weak ways doesn't even scare me in the sense of if I'm playing against them on, you know, four or five of the six maps, I I know what to do. I've played against them a lot. It's it's Kenny and Matt and JK's list that they all ran at LVO and they landed at last year's Worlds. And I've played against it a thousand times and I've beaten it plenty of times. It's fluctuations and that list. It's that particular cross-section. I am deeply afraid of Spectre. I will say this. I played against Spectre, nerfed. Yeah. And, I mean, I lost by one point. So it's definitely doable. But Spectre still does the stupid stuff Spectre does. The plus one damage and plus one block 
like that was a big deal. But the real problem with Spectre is that extra attack. It changes the map. Yes. It changes activation cycling. It's just so hard to deal with. They don't care if their cards are gone. Like it's still a broken list. It's just a little bit yep. easier to beat now. And and that's good. Like I, I'm okay with Spectre still like being in the meta. But Vader is probably its best matchup. Uh, I, I can make an argument that Han Rangers is its best matchup, but yeah. Oh, sure. Uh, sure. I mean, either way, like, I bet Han Rangers yeah, is its yeah. best matchup, but both Han and Vader are good matchups that Spectre's going, oh, cool, I know what to do. So they kill Han, they, yeah. Like, yeah, they'll come up and they'll kill two Rangers, or they'll kill two Jets, or they'll kill Vader. You know, they'll do something. It is nice for Vader to one-shot Ezra. That was fun. And then still lose because Zeb and Hera are dumb. Yeah, that's the yep. issue with the Spectre Cell, is that in a Vader list, you have to be so careful with Vader, right? Because after you have lost Vader, number one, he's a ton of points, and number two, he does so much for you, right? So you have to be so careful with how you play him. But with Spectre, let's say that you lose one figure, there's still a lot of really strong combat figures out there. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and that extra Spectre Cell attack means that you've gotten down two figures, they're playing with the strength of three. It's a problem. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, and that's essentially the thing about with playing Vader against them, is that you're running Vader against three Vaders. But that just does not add up mathematically. Yeah. I mean, what do you do against that? Uh, cry, pray, uh, entreat uh, your opponent's uh, guilt and say, you're a bad person for running Spectre. What are you doing? I thought we were all past this. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is so last season, guys. Let's shame them as a community into not playing Spectre. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still salty about how Sam beat me on Blitz at Worlds. You should be. <laughs> I'm I'm salty that I'm salty that Sam ran Spectre at LVO. We thought we were fast, yeah. Sam. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, seven dodges. I dodged seven times, and I killed Lamb round one with my interleague. He doesn't care. He just still blows me out of the water. Seven dodges. Seven dodges is usually a game breaker. Yeah, if you dodge against me seven times, I'd look at your dice and throw it across the table and give you one of mine. <laughs> and you roll with this now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whereas if you roll seven dodges against Spectre, they just, <laughs> their face doesn't change. It's like you just played positioning advantage. Oh. Oh. Or I don't know. So on the lamb, which really doesn't matter because they just move two spaces and then pummel and then they strengthen numbers to go for his third attack and then suddenly Ezra's now done 21 damage. And he's healed like six damage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Rant over. Yeah. So, Scott, do you have any closing remarks about playing Vader and any advice to our listeners out there? Sure. Vader's great. He's super fun. I think if you're going to run an Imperial list, you're running Vader. There's some pro lists that don't have Vader that are super fun and cool, but I think if you want to be playing as well as you can be playing as competitively in the meta, I think you need to be running Vader in some configuration. But there's a lot of flexibility with how you build that. And yeah, so I, I think he's a lot of fun. And if you want to run an Empire, please do. And the more people that do, the more viable he is. If we see less and yeah. less hunters and, you know, we'll figure it out. But yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my two cents. Or as Isaac would say, that's my five cents. Five cents. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Marvelous. Very well, uh, Jessica, any closing thoughts for you? Yeah, I just really love playing Vader. It's very satisfying to have him on the board. I do find that he's a little bit trickier 
because he is so valuable, a miniature in one deployment. So you do have to think tactically. But I mean, also, if you are not thinking about playing in the top tables, it is really fun to just straight up run him into their face. Okay, I'm saying here as a B or C tier player, you know what, if you know you're not going to make the cut, just run him in. It's it's a really good time. I, I promise. <laughs> and if you do make the cut, it's even more impressive. <laughs> yes. Yes. 100%. All right. Well, Scott, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on. And I'm looking forward to pulling you back on after you win Wells with Vader. Well, that's, that's very kind of you. You'll also want to pull me on when you or Jess beat me for the world title. <laughs> and you can quote about Han Rangers. <laughs> oh, come on. It's going to be Vader v. Vader. Oh, yeah. Me and Jess will just be Vader matching it up. Yeah. And it'll be great. Oh, yeah. That's that's the dream. That's definitely going to happen. That's the final, right? Me and you, Scott. And it, I'll just be like, Vader wins either way. Oh, I'm happy. And here's the thing. This is one of my biggest reasons to still stick with Han Rangers. I've looked at other variants, which I really, really want to run. Rebels have never won words. And no, Space Cell does not count as Rebel, okay? <laughs> Vettel is not a rebel list. Okay, so rebels have still never won worlds. And they probably never will. Oh, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, it's, like if, I, if I were a betting man, it's going to be scum. Again, yeah. because FFG yeah. made a game that's not balanced for skirmish. Yeah. But I believe in you. And do your best. But thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, it was our pleasure. It was really nice to have you on. Absolutely. Happy to do it another time. Absolutely. Until next time, listeners. See you later. Bye.